0: All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Bear Archery's Hunting 101. I've got a special guest, somebody I've been wanting to have on for a while. He is has uh, been a faithful supporter of the show, listened since day one, always been good about sharing and helping the show. I've got Mr. Todd DeCapua. Todd is a bear archery pro staff shooter. He's a big fan of ScentLock. We have a lot of shared interests, but Todd has a passion for helping teach and inspire new hunters. He's the coach at his high school archery team. He's successfully gotten three kids involved in hunting. One of which now is is so involved in hunting that they're also on the bear archery pro staff team. Guys, it's a good episode. We talk a lot of things. We also tell the story of his giant Delaware six point velvet buck. Guys, I hope you I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the conversation. As always, this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Scent Lock. Guys, deer season is here. Your clothing is important. Your scent control is important. And I've said it a thousand times, but what ScentLock is going to do for you is they're going to help you with your odor control with activated carbon in all of their clothing for the maximum odor absorption. Guys, go check out ScentLock. You can catch them at a Cabela's, at a Shields, online. Multiple places you can find ScentLock. Go try it on. I promise you, you won't be disappointed because you're going to get phenomenal clothing at a great, great value. guys. Guys, if you have been around archery much at all, then you've probably heard the name Lancaster. And for good reason, Lancaster archery is well known worldwide and they have an incredible reputation worldwide. Why? Because they're archery experts on all things archery, from bow hunting to 3D shooting, from recurves to compounds. If it's archery, they not only sell the products, but they know the products. Guys, Lancaster is your one-stop shop for all things bear archery. Every compound, recurve, all the equipment. But outside of bear, they have everything you need from arrows and broadheads to, to bow building equipment, everything. Guys, Lancaster Archery is a name that you can absolutely trust. They put out some of the best information that you can find just about anywhere. So I would highly encourage you. not only shop at lancasterarchery.com because you can trust in the products you're buying because they know about the products that you're buying but also i would highly encourage you to check out all of their resources not only on their website but on their youtube channel because they are a wealth of knowledge on all things archery so guys check out lancaster archery they're your one-stop shop not only for all of the equipment that you could ever possibly need that's archery related but also all of the information that you would ever need that is archery related. Lancasterarchery.com. Go check them out. All right, Todd. So before we jump into the heart of this conversation, man, give us an introduction to yourself, man, how you got to where you're at, kind of what all you do. And and obviously a guy that's very passionate about bear. Uh, We share a love for scent lock. So um, got a lot in common. So before we jump in, give us an introduction to yourself.
1: Well, my name is Todd DiCapua, uh, born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware, so here on the east coast of the U.S. Um, Kind of grew up in the area doing all kinds of fun things. Um, I started shooting a bow, believe it or not, when I was about 10 years old, and it wasn't until I got into college that I met my college roommate, who was an avid bow hunter. So call it eight years, 10 years or so after I started shooting a bow just in my parents' backyard that uh, he said, hey, you know, you're a great shot with a bow. How about we go and do some hunting? So um, that's where I started doing the hunting thing Um, through my career. Again, I've I've worked as a professional, uh, predominantly as a software engineer um, and often as a a leader in many software engineering organizations. But I've had the opportunity to do that now for almost three decades. Um, The common thread, though, is the outdoors. And I think, you know, Dylan, as I look at the logo for the hunting one-on-one podcast and I see hunt, grow, inspire. Um, this is really everything that I do. It just feels like day in and day out. So sharing in that passion and, you know, how is it that I can do those types of things and everything that I'm doing, whether it's outdoors types things or professionally.
0: Yeah. And that, well, that's one thing that, you know, I, I don't want every, I don't want people to think like when they see the title of the podcast, I don't want them to think, Oh, that's just for beginners. Because the, the process of hunt, grow, and inspire, that's a, a lifelong process. You know, we always want to continue to grow. Um, and so I don't want people to just be like, oh, well, that's just, that's just for beginners. Like that's where you go to get your first information, and then you move on. Um, I want to encourage people to continue to always grow, to continue to, al- yes. continue to always learn more and strive to be better. And then inspire to, to help others do the same. Um, and so that's why, you know, I kind of came up with those three pillars because we're never done growing, man. I remember my favorite show growing up in like the high school college years was Major League Bowhunter. And that was their was their motto is never stop learning. And that just stuck with me, man, um, because we we tend to think and and I had a bad habit of that dude in college. Cause I was working at a bow shop and, and, uh, you know, I thought I was big time, dude. I knew how to tie a D loop brother. And I thought, I thought the whole world stopped with me when it come to hunting. And, uh, and then you go out West for your first time and you're like, okay, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Like I, I, am just a baby pup, man. And then you That's head right. out on a bear hunt in Delaware and you're like, oh crap, dude, I didn't, I have no idea how this works. And so I just, you know, I, I want people to just understand that why, yes, it is hunting 101. This is not just a place for beginners to come and get information. We should always continue to learn. I put out a video yesterday. Um, I missed a doe. I didn't miss a doe. I hit a doe. Uh, but I hit a doe bad. Uh, I hit it in the back straps. And, um, you know, I just put out that video just showing people like, hey, you're never there. Like, you're never done. You've never made it. You know, some of the best hunters I know continue to strive to be better and continue to evolve and, and change things. And so that's kind of why those three pillars exist. But, um, man, yeah, I've always appreciated your support of the show. I've always appreciated appreciate your support of of myself. And so I'm, I'm glad to finally have you on, man.
1: This is fabulous. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, and I think you're right. As as I watched your video, um, it's interesting because I think if you get out and you hunt as much as at least I do. I'm, I'm hunting over 100 days a year. I can hunt. Uh, I'm very blessed to be able to be a part of um, some pretty elite parts of the state of Delaware and part of the Delaware Master Hunter group that we have. So as a result, we do some special hunts. Um, but again, I have the opportunity to hunt nine months out of the year. So when you talk about the experience that you had and, hey, you know, I, I didn't put the exact shot that I wanted on it. it. It's hard for us, I think, as hunters and as outdoorsmen to reflect on that experience and that's nothing that we want for the game that we're, we're chasing. Um, so, again, having the the humility, I think, to share that publicly, like you did, uh, takes a lot. And I think for us as sportsmen, we can absolutely relate to that experience. But learning from that, and and again, I, I watched the video, ironically, and it's like, yep, I'm now back out in my yard and I'm practicing this shot. And I think you said it was like a, a 17 or 18-yard shot with your Fred Bear takedown. Again, it's one that you practice all the time it's one that i practice you know 20 to 22 yards is where i practice all the time with my fredbear grizzly same exact thing it's like that should have been an easy shot but again reflecting on that continuing to grow continuing to learn listening to other people trying to figure out like hey what more can i do here is critically important to your growth.
0: well not only as sportsmen is it hard it's hard as men like, I mean, it's hard as men to just say I messed up like I'm not perfect. Right. I, I didn't do the best job I could have uh, well, because we're prideful, arrogant human beings. That's that becomes difficult. And what happens is we are casting this shadow onto new hunters of we never mess up. We never miss. We never do wrong. And so then a new hunter gets into it. They mess up. They wound their first animal and they're like, well, I guess I wasn't built for this. You know, I guess because these guys, they don't miss, they don't mess up. Well, no, we just, we just do a poor job of showing you those things. We do a poor job of showing you the learning process of, and what we go through as outdoorsmen, what we go through as sportsmen. We're just doing a bad job of that. It's not that you're doing a bad job of hunting. We're failing you and and showing you that we never mess up. And so that was kind of why, and I, and you know, I struggled to put that out, uh, to be honest with you, not because I'm prideful and because I thought, you know, I want to look good, but To the non-hunting community, they're like, oh, you wounded an animal. This is what's wrong with hunters, you idiots. Mm -hmm. But what the non-hunter doesn't understand is like, dude, I literally felt sick. Like Mm -hmm. all day long, I felt like I had literally let down not only myself, not only the entire hunting community, definitely that deer. Um, Now, I did find solace in knowing like she jumped out to 70 yards, started licking her wound. I mean, she didn't even know she got hit. She just Mm -hmm. thought, well, something bit me. And so she licks her wounds and goes right back to brazen with the other does and browsing with the other does. And, uh, and so that's, you know, the, the hunting community, the hunting community gets it, the non hunting community doesn't. And so, um, you know, but a couple years ago on my old social media, before it got all deleted, Mm -hmm. I put out a video of a hog and I, I hit a hog far back and never found it. And, Dude, the amount of comments of, of negative people, not hunters, but but non-hunters, was overwhelming. But it's still our job to show that side of hunting. We have to.
1: Now it's so true. And I think an important piece that um, it's part of the curriculum that I have the opportunity to teach with basic hunter education here in Delaware. Um, but really, when you look at that, the public aspect of this, Um, it's, it's 5% of us or so are hunters. Um, 5% are probably more on the anti-hunter. There's somewhere in that middle, you know, sometimes it's referred to as the 90% that are going to be considered, uh, people who could be swayed one way or the other. But you're right. As, as we're going through the community, you know, being mindful, having that situational awareness to know who are we speaking to? How should we be speaking to them? Again, do we harvest an animal? Um, Again, are we field dressing animals? That's exactly what we're doing. So um, you're right. We absolutely, as a community, need to be aware of all of the above.
0: Yeah. Now let's jump into, um, you shot a banger of a deer last year. <laughs> um, big old velvet buck. Not only yeah. not only do I love big sixes, big sixes like just get me pumped, dude. Yep. Um, I was hunting a deer last year. I called him Forkinator because he was just giant. I mean, a giant six. And, uh, sure enough, I took, uh, Joey's at shout out to Joey, took Joey at out to hunt and uh, it was going to be his first buck and really, dude, I had a lot bigger deer lined up for him. I was like, dude, we've got a lot bigger deer, a lot more impressive deer, but that deer come out and he's like, that's the one I want. And I'm like, no, that's my, that's my favorite. But, man. uh, but yeah, he ended up shooting that deer. I love big sixes, man. Um, so walk me through that story. Where was that at? Where'd you kill that at?
1: Yeah, so that was in a fairly suburban area, again, in the the greater Wilmington, Delaware area. So if you were to look at Delaware, this is the far northern part of the state. And in the north is where, you know, a lot of corporate, a lot of suburban types of areas. So um, that's the area that I was hunting in. Um, Our opening day of regular archery in Delaware is on the 1st of September. Uh, So this hunt was back on the 1st of September, 2022. Um, but again, it was one of these, literally the night before I'm looking through some of my trail cam pictures and I have this big six in velvet that shows up. And I, I texted a couple of my buddies, the picture. And I said, you know what, there's no way this season I'll probably ever see this deer in, you know, legal shooting light. Wouldn't you believe I come in opening day, sitting on my stand, next thing you know, you know, I've got tons of does underneath of me and everything else. Again, I'm being patient. So, watch them. Again, it it probably been well over an hour, eight, ten, twelve deer under me, all within twenty yards or so. Um, so again, how can you be patient? How can you wait? Um, but then that's when I the don't. excitement
0: started. <laughs> <laughs> I don't.
1: Yeah. So again, it was here in Northern Delaware. And again, somewhat suburban area. Um, but one that uh, I've had the opportunity to hunt probably for the last 17 years or so.
0: So, you didn't have any history with this deer. It was like saw him on camera day one, he comes out.
1: Well, it's interesting. I'd seen him probably for at least a year or two um, prior. And it was one of those where you're continuing to watch the animal. And then I've harvested actually the deer that's over my shoulder here, I harvested on the same um, property. Look and at those what's brows, unique about dude. him. Yeah, his, his brows are about 11 and a half inches long. And the one thing you can't see in the picture here is on his right side, there's an extra four and a half inch um, brow that kind of kicks off the front. Yeah. Um, but again, same exact property. And again, had seen this this deer and I was like, you know, he's he's got to be getting to be three and a half, four and a half years old, but is not. it's going a little wider, going a little bit taller, but it's still a solid six. Um, so again, had had some history there with this buck for sure.
0: That's cool, man. So day one, open day of season, he comes out. That's right. See, I never was crazy. Get you know, you're still- I, I never have that experience. <laughs> I'm the type of dude that's like, I've hunted, you know, 97 days, and it's on the 98th day I see a buck, and I'm like, what? What in the heck?
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, again, it's one of those things where, again, that's probably a whole nother part of a conversation, but you know, that mentality and how do you maintain that positive, um, attitude. And again, I think from a lot of these outdoors experiences, even archery into itself, there's a lot that we can learn that applies to life. Um, but I, I, in this hunt specifically, again, I'm sitting there and I've got all these deer under me, um, sitting there being patient. And I'm thinking, well, maybe, just maybe, this buck will come out. And wouldn't you believe, I watch a couple deer turn, and they look down the hill. um, And I'm like, oh, something's got to be coming. And sure enough, starts coming up. And uh, probably first saw him at 55, 60 yards, kind of at the bottom of the hill, coming from right to left. And then next thing you know, he starts coming up a little bit closer to me. He got within 40, 45 yards. And one of the does goes ahead and breaks off. Now, again, this is beginning of September. I'm thinking, no, there's not going to be any kind of chasing going on yet. Uh, wouldn't you believe he proceeded to kind of follow that doe right to left and got probably 90 to 100 yards down from me. And that doe just kept going. So the buck goes ahead and turns and starts coming back up kind of towards where the rest of the deer were. And next thing you know, he's kind of getting within range. Um, there was actually a small, uh, like five point, maybe a two and a half year old, uh, one and a half year old, something in that range. And uh, it was really funny to watch because I'm watching this younger buck kind of rub up against the big buck. Um, and next thing you know, you could see the six pointer kind of getting a little frustrated and you would almost think like oh, I'm going to push him away. Um, but believe it or not, he came within Um, I think it was about a 36-yard distance from me. And I had a tree limb in the way, but I ended up coming back into full draw. And so here I am, and I'm watching, watching. I'm like, you know what? I I can't get the perfect line of sight. I think there might be a limb in the way. Well, wouldn't you believe I went ahead and I let the bow down? I'm thinking, all right, I've just got to wait. I'm going to get another shot. I need him to kind of come a little bit closer to clear that limb and I need them to go perfectly broadside. And I need the other animal to move out of the way. Well, I didn't have to wait very long. All of it happened perfectly to script, came back to full draw. And again, I'm sitting there checking everything, checking my grip, checking my anchor, checking, you know, my nose, my everything. Yep. Ready to go. Go ahead and let that uh, sick F3 fly. And wouldn't you believe perfect hit, nice pop. And Uh, I ended up double logging him. So he turned, he went probably about 40 yards and fell over dead. So again, just a a phenomenal hunt and experience there. Um, I go ahead and I've got a link to the video that maybe we can include if people want to check that out, but it's like a 10 or 11 minute video, uh, a little bit of a lower light, but, um, again, the intent from a lot of my videos is really around helping people to grow and learn from these experiences. So you'll see some of the voiceover coming up on the screen and things like that. But again, a phenomenal opportunity back on the 1st of September of 2022.
0: Now you said one really important thing that I believe a lot of guys miss you. Mm-hmm. When that deer was in front of you, you were walking through your shot process. Like you were worried yes. about your grip, your, your pull through your shot, your nose, your, your kisser, everything. You're worried yeah. about those things for those guys who worry about, who get buck fever and, and mm-hmm. I can genuinely say this isn't something I struggle with. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, I don't know why I don't, people ask me, well, how'd you get over it? I, I don't know. It just never really happened. Um, I never really faced it. Well, maybe that's just cause I never killed big deer. I, you don't get buck fever over forkies, but, um, here's what I've learned is having a shot process that you're working through in your mind takes your mind off the deer. Um, so if I'm working through, you know, grip, hook, anchor, spot, pull, if I'm working through those things in my mind, I'm not worried about the deer, but here's another thing. I'm also not worried about what's happening downrange because I can't control so many dudes try to, try to anticipate a string jump and try to do, I can't, I can't control what that deer does the moment the arrow leaves the string. But what I can control is making sure that I put myself in the best possible predicament to kill that deer. And for me, Mm -hmm. that's working through a shot process. So that does two really good things for me. It takes my mind off the deer and I don't get buck fever, but it also takes my mind off of what's happening downrange. And I do the best I can do at controlling what I can control. So many things I can't control. I can't control the wind. I can't control if the, if the deer jumps or ducks. I can't control anything that happens downrange. But I can make sure that I'm doing the best I know how to do. I know that. And so I, I, I admire that you said that because so many guys, so many guys, they practice year-round a good shot process, and then a deer comes out, and it's just all of that goes out the window, and they're only thinking about the deer. And so right. – Um, really, really good job there holding it together, man. And thinking about what am I doing? Am I setting myself up for the best shot that I can possibly make? That's right.
1: And it's, it's interesting because as you think about it, like that shot process and having that become a lot of people talk about it as muscle memory. And again, I, I practice shooting, you know, maybe a half a dozen arrows every day. I know you have some of the same practices. Um, I love shooting three d. I have several targets in the backyard. I get together with a group of men every Wednesday night um, through the summer. I shoot you know somewhat competitively in a couple three ds a year as well. Um, but I think you know, yes, you can control those pieces, and I think learning that gets you into that muscle memory and again, enabling you to focus on the right things. Um, the other piece that you know myself and a few other instructors have been talking a lot about, and this is from a hunting perspective is, You know, how do you educate people on the ability to look downrange and start to read the deer and understand like this type of movement or this type of reaction or this type of, you know, the way that the head is, you know, are these types of things that are happening? And again, to your point, like this is something that's learned over time, but I would love to be able to educate that because again, you can't control what your, you know, target animal is going to do. However, over the years of hunting, you can learn to read that body language and start to understand like, oh, these are the things that are going to be happening. And this is the time when I should be bringing my bow up. And this is the time that I should be drawing. And you know what, I'm going to predict that that left leg is going to step forward and open up the vital section for me. And at that time is when I want to start, you know, my release cycle. So, Again, it's, it's interesting. That's a, another piece of what we just talked about that is absolutely something that I would love to be able to help teach and educate others on um, for all the right reasons of of the game that we pursue.
0: Well, and that's something to where, you know, again, you're you're learning these things all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not something to where, okay, I've learned deer. I am a deer hunter. Like you continue yeah. to learn things. And it finally dawned on me, like a week ago, um, I watched somebody shoot a deer and they waited for that back leg or the, the leg towards them to come forward so they can have a clean shot. Yep. And I started thinking about something interesting in my, you know, and this is kind of the first time I've publicly talked about it. But not only does that open up the heart and vitals for you to shoot them easier, mm-hmm. but when a deer's front two legs are spread out, it can't duck as much. Whereas when they're both together, you know, their momentum is going in one direction and they can duck more. So with the front leg stepping forward, they're not loaded up to drop down as fast and as much. No science behind that. No, you know, there's not been any studies or any demonstrations shown, but I just started thinking, I'm like, you know, I can squat down a lot quicker if I'm loaded up in an athletic type position with my legs together. Whereas if I spread my legs, if I put one out in front of the other, Mm -hmm. I can't drop as quick. I can't, you know, I can't do that. And so maybe there's something to be said about that too with deer. And so it's, again, it's something to where, you know, as I continue to hunt, I continue to realize these things about deer and setting myself up for success. So, um, kudos to you, man, guys, there's one fabric that if you're not wearing, you absolutely should be. It's a magic fabric, it changes everything about the way you layer, everything about the way you dress, everything about the way you hunt, and that is merino wool. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the benefits of merino wool, and I'm going to miss some for sure. But guys, whether it's summer or whether it's winter, uh, this is going to keep you cool in the the summer. It's moisture wicking. It's going to pull the moisture away from your body, but it's also going to hold your heat in the winter. It is antimicrobial. It doesn't smell. It doesn't hold scent like other fabrics does. So if you're out on a five-day hunt, you don't have access to a washer, this is not going to hold your scent. It's not going to to get stinky and nasty, um, it's also uh, quick drying. Um, you can hang this up in your tent. You can hang it up uh, on a clothesline. It's going to dry really quick. But the coolest part about merino, in my opinion, is that when it gets wet, it still maintains it still maintains its warmth properties. So if there's a light rain or a snow and this gets wet, it's still going to keep me warm. There's no itch. There's it's it's non-allergenic. It's an amazing an amazing fabric. Minus thirty three, I stumbled upon minus 33 by accident i was on backcountry.com and they were having a blowout sale i needed some new merino for a hunt that was coming up and so i i dove in i bought it and when i got it it was the softest best merino i have ever felt in my entire life i've not worn anything but minus 33 socks for everyday life whether i'm hunting hiking or just you know out for the day i haven't worn anything but minus 33 socks in over a year and a half Every single day, I'm wearing their underwear. Every single time I'm out hunting, whether it's 100 or whether it's 5, I'm wearing some sort of beanie to cover up my chrome dome and to keep that covered up and warm uh, or cool whether if it's in the summer. But also, um, that UV protectant, I like to wear it in the summer. Um, guys, minus 33 does merino, in my opinion, better than anybody else does it go check out minus 33 for all your Merino wool. And if you haven't ever tried Merino guys, you are missing out. It will change the way you layer. It will change the way you hunt. Go check out Merino wool and go check out minus 33. Now, what do you, uh, you said you hunt a hundred days a year. So do you hunt other things other than whitetails or are you strictly a whitetail guy?
1: It's funny. I am predominantly a whitetail guy. Um, however, With the the different um, instructing that I've been doing with hunter education, uh, I'm now getting interested in turkey. So uh, one of my co-instructors is a massive turkey hunter, and he's just like, Todd, you've got to go out and take the class. You've got to come out because you're going to be addicted. But uh, now the majority of the hunting that I have done has been deer hunting. Um, For about three years, I lived in Colorado, so I got to pick up a couple other species and game there, Um, but now predominantly deer hunting. Uh, The other thing is in Delaware right now, we're about eight to 10 times what a healthy deer herd should be. So, again, to be leveraged as a a wildlife conservation tool in that space is is something that I take uh, a lot of pride in and being able to help best manage our existing herd and help to at least keep the population level.
0: Now, you've got to have good bear hunting in Delaware, right?
1: Believe it or not, we don't. Um, some of the surrounding states like pennsylvania and new jersey um, i know that they do have a deer uh, i'm sorry a bear population um it is funny we have uh had a bear occasionally come down into wilmington and uh you can probably google it but it, it we've we've named it the della bear rather than delaware uh, so again it's it's kind of been a joke but um yeah on a few occasions over the last few years uh, there has been a bear seen in the city of wilmington
0: Yeah. I'm just looking at, I mean, you have bear hunting seasons, right? Nope. You don't?
1: No. We've, we've just seen some coyote coming in. Um, We've got some sick deer that are coming in from the Eastern shore of Maryland, more in the Southern uh, side. So we've got Sussex County down there. Um, But as far as kind of, typical game our turkey population is quite good um the deer population is pretty good um but yeah as far as bear goes no seasons right now
0: man i and maybe i should have looked into that more but i would have figured delaware had good bears not yet because like you talked about you're surrounded by good bears um that's right yeah i mean you're set up for bears however i guess i mean Speaking from myself, Kansas is surrounded by good bears and we don't have bear hunting yeah. seasons. So, uh, um, right? but we're also not set up for bears, you know, a bear ain't going to do well in right. a wheat field with nowhere to live. Um, true. so, but man, I, I would have thought Delaware had good bear hunting. So I learn something new every day. Absolutely. Now is whitetail and Turkey pretty much the only game that there is to hunt in Delaware? Um, good birds. I mean, what do you, what do you have other than, than deer and turkey?
1: So there's a lot of waterfowl. Um, so yeah. again, the snow geese, uh, have, you know, we, I think a lot of people have knowledge of snow geese in the world and what's happened from that population perspective. Um, Canadian geese is strong. Uh, the ducks are strong. Um, uh, we've really done a lot as far as kind of restoring a lot of the, the waterways to enable that population to have great places to 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 live and to quite frankly thrive so we do certainly have some good ducks uh to go after so again on the waterfowl side there's definitely a lot in the state of delaware right now
0: you do a lot of duck hunting
1: i don't it's it's funny like i've really focused on white tailed deer um one of the areas that i hunt on the southern part of delaware i've heard Sika. Um, but I've never had the opportunity to harvest one. Um, but now predominantly white deer is where I focus on.
0: Very cool, man. Now, do you, yeah. do you travel anywhere else to hunt any other states or pretty much stick to Delaware?
1: Well, it's interesting. So Delaware is a really small state. We're only about a hundred miles long and 20 miles wide. Um, and of course I've got buddies in a bunch of other states. Um, so I typically will alternate between like a Delaware and Pennsylvania or a Delaware and Maryland. Um, I have had the opportunity to hunt in Hawaii and then most recently I had an opportunity this past April to hunt in Florida. So again, phenomenal opportunities, um, you know, kind of the two adjoining states with Maryland and PA, and then a little bit of traveling with Hawaii and Florida.
0: What's been your favorite state to hunt in? Favorite place you've ever hunted? Gosh,
1: that's a, that's a tough one. You know, living in Colorado was absolutely beautiful um, enjoyed the fly fishing and the hunting there. Um, I I think each location has provided such a different experience and maybe that's part of what makes it really special. And quite frankly, being able to inspire others to do some of the same things is around, you know, what was that experience in Colorado or what was that experience in Hawaii? You know, in Hawaii, I had the opportunity to hunt wild boar with a knife. And my guide was, you know, I don't know what generation hawaiian but his family was all native and he was giving me the history of hawaii and what kind of came to play out over the last 100 plus years Um, so again phenomenal experience there Um, florida was just unbelievably unique Um, you've probably seen the pictures i had the opportunity to harvest a nine foot um, alligator and again that was part of the bear archery experience through cabela's of part of the kind of overall starting with the experience in in the shop and the plant uh, but then also then driving down south and being able to do a gator hunt so i think each one of those provides such a unique opportunity and they're different and again i would love to inspire others to go out and have those experiences and build your network of people and share your stories with people and um, really kind of complete to to round out even more of your hunting experience
0: yeah, man. It's crazy. Even hunting whitetails, like same game, but different states. It's yes. crazy how much you learn. Like, I mean, if you go hunt Texas, it's nothing like hunting Kansas. I mean, you learn yeah. so much more about whitetails just going to a different state. And, you know, where I, where I grew up in Northwest Arkansas, the hunting was completely different than it is here. You know, I maybe we were wrong for not doing it, but deer didn't respond real well to vocal calls in arkansas they didn't Is that right and so that's not something i practiced a lot but then you get to kansas and it's like dude if you don't got a grunt call you're doing something wrong like i mean i've called in more bucks in a year here in kansas than i ever would have dreamed of in arkansas uh decoying doesn't work real well i mean in arkansas uh and maybe it's because it's such thick coverage that by the time they get to the decoy, they're right in on it. Uh, Whereas in Kansas, you know, I'll have a deer see it from a mile away and make a beeline (laughs) to it. Um, So, you know, it's just funny how hunting different places gives you this grand scheme view of whitetails and you learn something new everywhere you go. And so, yeah, I 100% encourage people. Guys, you can hunt different places without dropping a ton of money. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like a, a, Oh, big, big man out of state hunter with all the money. No, dude. I hunt in Oklahoma. My license is 300 bucks. That's it. Mm-hmm. I hunt in Idaho and I get an elk and bear tag for 1100 bucks. That's not mm-hmm. a lot in the grand scheme of killing an elk and a bear. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so you can hunt and do all this cool stuff and you don't have to drop a lot of money. You know, I can go <laughs> hunt in Arkansas. I spend every Thanksgiving hunting with my dad in Arkansas. In my week-long out of states, 120 bucks for Arkansas. You can have different experiences without dropping a ton of money. So, yeah, I encourage everybody try something new because you'll learn something. Like you'll learn something different. Deer will respond different; they'll act different, and you'll continue to grow as a sportsman. So, definitely try new things. You have uh, you have successfully gotten three children involved in the hunting. Yes. How'd that journey go?
1: So it's been absolutely awesome. Uh, so my children now are 18, 17 and 14. Um, my stepson is the one who's 18, um, got him started probably when he was somewhere in around nine, 10 years old and, uh, got him started with a compound bow, um, shooting, you know, enjoyed it, but didn't really pick it up and have the passion. Um, my two daughters who are now 17 and 14, um, It's interesting. They've been shooting stick bows since they were three years old. And, you know, everybody said to me, are you kidding me? Like, that seems like they're really young. I was like, well, it was something they had an interest in. I think, you know, they see me in the shop. They see me shooting. They see me hunting. They see me doing all these things. And yeah, they want to try it. So at three years old, you know, here they have these. uh, I think it was a 48 inch stick bow at the time. And, you know, they're they're this high off the ground. But. It was one of those things where even if it were snowing, I could still set up a target in the garage and we could shoot there, or we could set up a target in the basement and we could shoot there. And from when they went from being three years old on the stick bow, I introduced compound bows when each of them turned 10. And right now, um, both of them, uh, both Cecilia and Francesca, shoot competitively on the high school team. So here at Mount Pleasant High School, we've got an NASP um, team. So they shoot competitively on that. And uh, Francesca in 2023 was asked to shoot as a Bear Archery Pro Staff shooting team member. So she's also been able to do that. But again, here's three different children. Again, all of them kind of, you know, in in, in my responsibility, but having three kind of different experiences. Um, The other thing that's been interesting is the, the middle one, Cecilia, who's now 17, I think it was a few years ago, she said to me, she's like, Daddy, you know, I, I love shooting my bow, but I just don't want to harvest an animal. And I said, you know what? That's great. You know, you are a phenomenal shot with a bow and competitively you are outstanding. And you know what? If if you look at that kind of responsibility that comes with harvesting an animal, which we talked a little bit about at the beginning of the podcast is You know, there's a lot there that as somebody who's a responsible sports person needs to think about and you are taking another animal's life. Um, But again, for her to have that reflection point, again, highly respectful of that. Um, But again, with what she's been able to accomplish on the high school team, she's now looking at colleges and universities and she's saying, oh, I wonder if they have an archery team. So she's looking to potentially take that moving forward. And then Francesca, who, again, she shoots on the, the pro staff team with bear archery. Um, she's also continuing to grow, but again, she's 14. She's a freshman in high school, getting out there, helping get other people into the sport and helping them to grow and inspire them to, to give it a go. Absolutely phenomenal to watch the journey. And again, these are my three children um, have had the opportunity to influence many others as well.
0: Yeah. What's it like you've mentioned coaching on the high school team. Dude, I yep. kudos to you, man. I don't have the patience for that. Um, I don't, you know, and, uh, that would be difficult. And I have had the very unique pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. listen, I know my boy Coda, I know he's going to listen to this cause he's like a massive yep. fan of mine. Shout out to Thanks. Coda. I've had the unique code, uh, pleasure of helping Coda get started with a bow yep. and, uh, you take that and one-on-one it's, it's fun. It's, 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 you know, you get to spend time with them. You get to talk with them, but I've thought about that and I'm like grand scheme of things. If you've got 14 kids all trying to launch an arrow at the same time, how do you even go about, how does that happen? How how do you do that? How do you coach that man, like that size of group at one time?
1: So, so last year was the first year that we brought this into, The high school and believe it or not this is the only high school in the state of delaware that offers an archery program um but but you show up on day one and you know you have some of the information sessions and everything else but at the end of the day you don't know who's going to show up Um, we had 26 students last year on day one show up oh my gosh Um, then you find out oh by the way todd we've got six weeks till our first competition Oh, that's good. And then of those
0: 26
1: <laughs> students, guess what? There's only two of them that have ever shot a bow before. Oh and yeah, one of them happens to be your daughter. The other one is your daughter's boyfriend, which you also trained how to shoot a bow. So basically I had 24 students that had never shot a bow before and we had to be in competition form within six weeks. So again, having them go through all the learnings And the NASP program provides you with a lot of resources and quite frankly, the education that I wish I would have had when I started shooting a bow. Um, But it was just absolutely amazing to be able to work with these students and to watch how some of them just have natural talent for shooting a bow and arrow. And literally like the hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now because I was working with these students that, You know, you're having to show them this is the proper grip. This is the proper stance. This is the proper, you know, you talk about draw cycle, like all of this is foreign to them and you're starting from square one. But to watch them listen, watch them learn. And again, we're only shooting uh, on Thursday afternoons one day a week. That's it. Um, And then, you know, you have a string bow that you teach them how to build and use that so they can practice at home and bring that with them every week. Um, Have them pair up and learn from each other and help them with, let me, Dylan, let me look at your stance. Let me see how your bow arm is. Let me, all of these things um, are, are resources that are provided to you as a coach that helps you to educate these students. But let me tell you, just a phenomenal opportunity there to be able to be a volunteer coach at the high school archery team level. And again, day one, 26 students show up. You've got six weeks to get them into competition form. And only two of them have ever shot a bow before.
0: Okay. So because I am ignorant, what <laughs> what are you what bows are you using? are you using like recurves? Or are you using like a wheelbow that has no back wall? Or are you using what what are you using? Yep.
1: So they're the Genesis bows. So all the NSA, oh, yeah, P, yeah. NASP. It's the same exact bow, same exact arrows. So, again, competitively, it's everything's the same. But, yeah, we're starting with the Genesis bows. So, again, there's a, a bit of a single cam on there, nothing too aggressive, pretty adjustable from a weight perspective, but they tend to be lighter.
0: Now, those don't have a draw length on them, right? That's like They a, do not. A, okay. So that does save you, like on having to figure out and set up bows for each kid because that was, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest things to tackle, you know, Um, very cool. Now, have any of those students became hunters because of this? Have you turned any of those archery students into (laughs) bow hunters?
1: It's, it's interesting you say that. So again, some of the, the other volunteer things I get to do with hunter education here in the state of Delaware. So I had the head of hunter education say to me, Hey Todd, do you think in that high school that any of the students would be open to having a basic hunter education course taught so that they could learn and they could start getting introduced into hunting. So to answer your question directly, the answer is no, I've not. Um, but I've started socializing this with my youngest daughter is also in the JROTC program. So when I was speaking to um, a couple of the people in her group, Uh, I said, you know, would you guys be interested in anything like this? Um, a hunter education program that would provide you with the basics and enable you to start getting into the woods. Um, and there was a lot of interest. So again, what I need to kind of work through now, and maybe there's some people who've done this before that can provide me with some inputs, is, you know, what is the best way to be able to do that? And again, given that. Our hunter education program is one that I, t- I teach it on a Thursday night and then all day Saturday, and we do a live fire exercise on Saturday. Um, so, again, with that, I think I would be best off having everything at the state training facility um, and providing that environment for the students. Um, but maybe, maybe some other people have experiences with how to do that. But that's absolutely something that I would love to be able to do. And, again, it follows that same journey I did. I started with a bow, and it wasn't until – I met my college roommate that I had somebody who said, hey, let's go hunting. Uh, you're very proficient with a bow and an arrow. Let's go.
0: I don't know if it ever came to be, but I remember being reached out to by Morrell Targets, and they were starting a, uh, I want to say Archers USA is what it was called. I, I could be wrong, but yeah. part of what they were wanting to develop was, a kit like a bow hunters kit that goes on those Genesis bows. That way they can start bow hunting with the bows they've learned on to help Mm -hmm. turn those archers into bow hunters. So maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, and, and again, I don't know whatever came of that. Um, but I know that that was in the works at one point that was being discussed at one point. So, um, again, maybe a good place to start, but, at least you're in a place, man, at least you're set up in a place where you, you're you going to constantly have this flow of new archers that have already showed interest in shooting a bow. Now you've yep. just got to get them to show interest in hunting an animal. So That's right. um, you, you're in a really good place to not only help them grow, but to help them inspire, too. Absolutely. So... What all does the uh, Delaware Master Hunter, you mentioned that, what all does that do um, in terms of like getting people inspired and getting them out in the woods?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a, a, almost like a capstone of hunter education uh, from a, a hunting perspective. And it does include everything from, from deer to waterfowl to turkey. Uh, so again, all of the above um there's also some required classes um so again it's it's almost like you've got the capstone delaware master hunter course and there's requirements to be able to get there so there's years of experience there's um you know you need to take a certain number of other classes or prerequisite classes before you can take the delaware master hunter class um but it's one that again as i was looking at my journey and trying to grow more in hunting i was like well this is offered wow you know, let me try to go ahead and do this. And I actually took an online class that was offered in Kansas on trapping as one of those prerequisites. So again, it was something I could do online. And again, this is probably a decade ago, but actually it's probably more than that, sadly, as fast as time's going now. But um, again, that was a class that I could take online, learned a lot. And now, you know, I've got a buddy who he does trapping and this is his part-time job. And he said, "Hey, you want to come out and learn more and get hands on? Outstanding!" But um, there's, I guess, a little over a hundred Delaware Master Hunters right now. Uh, we do so that's how you kind of get to that Delaware Master Hunter. Um, then from that, it's a lot of wildlife conservation, a lot of education. Um, so again, we have the Delaware State Fair every year in Harrington, Delaware. Um, there's typically Fish and Wildlife has a trailer. It is set up with archery um, so again it provides us as delaware master hunters to go down and volunteer and help people get their first experience with shooting a bow and arrow um, or you know we're out doing you know some work in a preserve uh, which could be you know cleaning up it could be checking all the stands it could be other types of activities uh, there's of course we've got the huntering fishing day Um, That is a huge attraction to bring out all the youth and get them using fishing rods, using bows again. But it's a lot of it is around education, wildlife conservation. Um, There are some uh, Delaware master hunts that are controlled hunts as well uh, that we participate in. But again, most of it is around education and wildlife conservation, uh, representing uh, the hunter in several of these forums at the state level of, hey, we're thinking about changing these laws, we're thinking about changing these regulations, again, we have that opportunity to represent the hunter here in the state of Delaware.
0: That's awesome, man. So, you know what's coming. You've heard the podcast for however long. What's your yep. uh, What's your hunting 101 field note you've got that the, that the listener can take and make themselves a better archer, a better hunter with?
1: So there's there's so many to come to mind. And you're right. It's funny. I think as I'm driving and I'm listening to the podcast and I hear everybody put their ideas out. um, So many great ideas. Um, There's there's if I had to have one, uh, something that I've started doing is uh, tying a constrictor knot as my kisser button. Um, So, again, I use the D loop material to tie. And again, if you just Google constrictor knot, you'll see it come up. Um, it's a very simple knot to tie um, but as i was you know working in shops um, helping out different dealers and and putting these things together and i started there's got to be a better way because you know kisser buttons they weigh a little bit maybe they'll slow down your feet per second but more importantly so many people i think have been shooting and all of a sudden oh i had one of my brass clips uh come loose on the bottom of my kisser i need to go fix that Well, okay, then you're done shooting for a little while unless you happen to be at a shop. Um, Or I shoot and my kisser button flies off. Again, no big deal. You can still shoot, but there's that confidence side of your equipment that you come used to. And again, that shot process where it's, yep, kisser knows everything's lined up. Uh, So again, I think my one field note that I would share is think about um, if you do use a kisser button, you know, maybe replacing your kisser button with something called a constrictor knot and just using uh, delute material that you probably have sitting around already.
0: All right. So it's funny that you say that because I had a guy this week. He messaged me and said, how do I figure out the height of a kisser button? How do I know uh, where to put that? So where yeah. do you start by finding that kisser button placement in the first place?
1: Yeah. So It's interesting. So I also shoot a peep site. And the reason I want to bring this in is, um, you know, I have the opportunity to shoot total archery challenge. Absolutely love it. Um, But I think the way these two equate together and the way that I find the kisser button height is draw cycle. And I'll look at form and I'll help people and I'll go ahead and mark their string to where that needs to be. But the reason I wanted to bring the peep site up is, one of the things that I've learned in shooting some longer range 3D and target is I set my peep at a 60 yard pin. So that way I'll, I'll have the height and the trajectory that I want. And I actually get more out of my sight, but that also then translates into the height to set your kisser button. So I think as we're thinking about all of the dynamics on your string and the angles and where you want to set things up, Uh, That's certainly a consideration is again, at what distance am I setting my peep site? And then let me go ahead and set where my kisser button location would be after that.
0: Yeah. Very good, man. Now where all can they find you at? If they want to come and follow you, watch your videos, see everything you got going on, where can they find you at?
1: So if they were to look up red arrow addiction, um, you will find red arrow addiction on YouTube. You'll find it on Instagram um, I'm also D E hunt master on Instagram. Uh, so those are probably the easiest ways to go ahead and find me. Uh, of course, uh, if you want to email, don't, uh, don't spam me, but, uh, I'm also red arrow at gmail.com. Uh, again, would love to get any insights. And again, as we are all hunting, growing and trying to inspire each other, uh, would love any feedback and inputs from you as well as any tips that you might have.
0: Yeah man, I'll give anybody my email, but I made the terrible mistake of sharing my phone number one time. I'll never do Oof. that again. That was Oof. uh that was a lesson learned quick. I uh That's right. figured that out the hard figured that one out the hard way. So don't have to worry about that one anymore. Guys, I'm an arrow junkie. I love arrows and I have found a fondness for deer crossing archery. Everybody makes a good arrow I'm not saying that anybody out there makes a bad arrow, but what really sets deer crossing archery apart is when I call them, I'm going to get, A, the owner on the phone, I'm going to get the guy that's building my arrows on the phone, and they're going to walk me through a complete custom build. They're not shipping me a box of arrows that they ship out to everybody. I'm going to pick my knot colors, my fletching colors, my wrap colors, the fletching configuration I want on the arrows. Not only that, I'm going to walk him through my setup. I'm going to walk him through what I'm looking to get out of this setup. I'm going to tell him total arrow length I want to be hitting, total arrow weight I want to be hitting, total uh, insert-outsert weight I want to be hitting, FOC. And he's going to custom build a set of arrows and send them to me. My arrows aren't going to be best for you. Your arrows aren't going to be best for me. We need custom arrows. Deer crossing archery builds those arrows custom for you and they always perform their silencer shaft is my favorite arrow on planet earth i've shot 40 plus animals with that arrow it always performs it always blows through the animal i always get great penetration it's a micro diameter shaft they do have a full line of shafts Uh, the new rupture arrow is a phenomenal arrow i shot a deer with it this year in missouri i love their arrows guys i would highly encourage you to check out deer crossing archery because you don't have to go to a box store and buy a set of arrows that are just made from the factory. You can get arrows custom made for you that are going to work best for you and your setup. Guys, use code hunting101 to get a discount at Deer Crossing Archery. I would highly encourage you to check them out. They are phenomenal. Todd, thank you so much for coming on, man. I uh again, I always have appreciated your support of the show. Always have su- appreciated um, you know, just being a fan of the show and, and, uh, I'm really glad that we finally got to, to make this happen and get you on the show. So guys go check out Todd. Um, but it's hunting season. So get out there and hunt by the time this episode airs, the pre-rut is here. Uh, so my tip, start being vocal, um, start using grunt calls, start using rattle horns. Again, those tools are something that can't be left at the truck. I've had deer held up at 80 yards and I'm like, gosh, dang it. I left my rattle bag. And if I just had a rattle bag, I had something to entice them. So guys, be vocal this this fall. Um, if you have any kind of, of setup uh, to where, you know, you can watch deer from a white ways off and see how they respond to that first call, it's going to work really, really well. So guys, get out there, be vocal, go hunt, enjoy this fall. As always, I'd love to share in your success. So send over your success photos. I haven't mentioned this in a long time and I've failed you guys. But don't forget to pee from your tree. I uh, I was hunting. Um, when I, Before I shot that though I was hunting, and I took a leak from the tree stand. I'm like, man, I've really stopped promoting that. Um, <clears throat> mainly because we had a deer biologist come on. He said there's no science behind it, but I don't care. It's bro science. I have found success when peeing from a tree. So make sure and take a whiz off that tree stand. It can't hurt you, and it will help you, in my opinion. So, guys, as always, thank you for listening. You guys have a fantastic week.